Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Women's football, Euro final, England versus Germany, Wembley, sold out stadium, and then to go on and win it. It was just insane. A lot of the chatter afterwards was, I really hope it's not the ACL, I hope it's everything else. I'd worked in the Olympic and Paralympic system for a number of years. No one had ever said the word periods, no one had talked about menstrual cycles. I've totally subscribed to best person for the job, but often the best person for the job could well be female, but society isn't ready for that yet. All I'm saying is that everybody should know how to swim. I can't fathom how you can try and say that that is troublemaking or anything like that. Every time I hear somebody talk about investing in women's sport and talking about it as if it's some sort of donation (laughs) or like charity. You're welcome. It's just such a weird way to tell me that you're bad at business. Welcome to the Telegraph Women's Sport podcast with me, Sam Quirk. Women's sport is on the rise across the board, but there are still issues that need to be addressed. And it's imperative that women are central to those conversations. For this episode on activism, we're joined by three brilliant women who have certainly made their voices heard. First up, we have Alice Deering. She's the first black female swimmer to represent Great Britain at the Olympics and she competed in the 10 kilometres in Tokyo and has used her platform out of the pool to highlight the lack of diversity in swimming and aim to increase it as well. It's a little wonder she was third on the BBC's Women's Hour Power list of the top 30 women in sport. Hello, Alice. Hi, hey, thanks for having me. I'm excited. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks for coming on. Talk to us about you making history then. The lack of diversity, was it something that you were aware of competing in swimming? Yeah, so being part of like making history for Black Britain has, it's kind of like a, a bittersweet, like it's it's really cool to have, you know, broken that barrier and have the opportunity to highlight how few elite Black swimmers there are. And then even in terms of the learn to swim, how few of us get into it in the first place and have that basic life skill and knowledge. But in terms of like the bitter side, it's just kind of a shame that it it's at that point where I do have to stand up and say, oh, by the way, I am the first woman to do this for Britain. You know, Britain's so multicultural, it's so diverse, it's got so much within it and so much potential. So yeah, that's why I'm using my platform wherever I can to just get as many people swimming as possible. And if there's anybody listening to this who doesn't know how to swim, no matter your race or your age or your gender, I promise you, you can learn to swim 
it is available for everybody and anybody and please just go and get lessons if you don't know how to swim yeah brilliant message and I do have to say as well you're coming live from Loughborough because you're still busy training (laughs) over there aren't you still working hard as well as spreading the message yeah Um, yeah. so what you do are you still training in Loughborough give us a little idea of what you're doing over there at the moment yeah big up to Loughborough and Loughborough Sport been supporting me for oh my god how many years now eight eight years I've been in Loughborough did my undergrad and my postgrad and now I'm a full-time athlete training towards Paris and my training week at the moment's like nine sessions a week with or nine swims a week with about 60 kilometers within that so it's pretty intense and I've got a busy summer coming up so I'm just looking forward to to you know showcasing what I can do and what the hard work that I've been putting in. Well, we'll look forward to following that and we'll chat to you shortly again. Okay, our next guest is Ali Donnelly. Back in 2009, she founded ScrumQueens.com, which is the leading women's rugby website. Uh, She's continually shined a spotlight on issues in the women's game and has helped to bring about change. She's also worked in politics at a particular address that we're all familiar about in Downing Street as the Prime Minister's spokesperson leading on the comms over there. But more recently... She's worked for Sport England and earlier on this year became CEO of More Than Equal, which aims to find and develop the first female Formula One world champion. Hello, Ali. Hello. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming out. Tell you what, you've got a wealth of experience, especially in women's sport. Um, But tell us a little bit about your new role then involved in F1. Yeah. So, look, I've always been very passionate about giving women and girls the same opportunities as men and boys in sport. And that's primarily born out of the experiences I've had in rugby, which is changing for the better, but there's always been um, challenges there in helping the women's game kind of realise its potential. So when I was approached last year to get involved in this new startup, which has this amazingly ambitious goal, there, there hasn't been a woman racing in Formula One for a long time, and there are a lot of barriers preventing that from happening. I just thought, yes, let's get involved in another sport that's very male domination. and let's try and make change. So it's an exciting new sport for me to be part of, and the parallels with rugby are actually quite significant. Really? You wouldn't have thought? Well, I think male-dominated sports, the barriers that end up blocking progress for women are often the same. There are a couple of extras in motorsport, money being significantly one of them, but the rest are are the same. There aren't enough women in leadership roles. Therefore, the decisions that are made are very much through the lens of sort of men and boys. So, yeah, it's exciting. And and I've learned so much from rugby to take into the job. Okay. And the job is to find a driver rather than getting more women involved into the sport itself. Is that your main... Yeah, main we're, we're primarily focused on female drivers and taking young talent and investing in them so that they can climb through the ranks. But at the same time, our goal really is to show women in this sport that anything is possible with the right support. So hopefully that message spreads into the rest of the sport too because there just aren't enough women in the sport anywhere. Mm. And back to the sport that you first got you off and running, rugby, scrumqueens.com. Tell us about that and how did that start and, how, and why? Well, in the same way, you know, that the other initiatives that we're here talking about and Alice and Steph's too, it was born out of a frustration. So in 2009, the Women's World Cup was coming to London in 2010 and nobody was writing about it and nobody was covering it. Nobody was talking about it. And I just found that annoying (laughs) and thought, you know, as a trained journalist, perhaps I could try and stop moaning and maybe do something about that. So set the website up. And yeah, look, there are now many more people covering women's rugby, including, of course, the Telegraph 
staff. And and so actually our role has changed somewhat. But ultimately, like many of these things, you do them because you're frustrated that you can't rely on, in this case, any consistent media coverage. And so it came from there. And it's, yeah, it was st- still, I said I'd set it up for a year and here we are, how many years later, and it's still going. But yeah, it's a brilliant community. Steph, I'm sure we'll talk to this. Women's Rugby is a collegiate, supportive and brilliant community, particularly online. So it's just a pleasure to be part of it. Well, our next guest is nodding away, <laughs> sat next to you. Uh, she's also from the sphere of women's rugby, or I should really say egg-shaped sphere. <laughs> uh, Steph Evans is a front rower for Bristol and Worcester in the Premier 15s. In 2021, her hashtag iCare went viral as she inspired social media users to show their backing for women's rugby. She also founded a rugby clothing range called Ruget RFC, which is defying traditional rugby clothing norms to provide women's kit that fits. Absolutely. And uh, it's something, Steph, that we shouldn't really have to be worrying about finding kit that fits because we expect it to. But unfortunately, it's just the realism, isn't it, with women's sport. Tell us then, how did you, I, I presume it's the same really as Ali, did there's, it start from a frustration that you couldn't get kit to fit? There's a lot of overlap, yeah. I think I honestly think that a lot of the good things that happen in the world start with one person who gets a little bit annoyed mm-hmm. and then says, how hard can it be? And then finds out it actually is a little bit hard but keeps going anyways. <laughs> I think it's how anything gets done, truly. That was definitely true for me. I think it was... It, the initial idea definitely came from the fact that I was so annoyed at the fact that I couldn't get shorts, especially shorts, but rugby kit in general, that I felt fit me, that I felt comfortable in, that I didn't have to figure out what size I was and return things a hundred times. It was always such a stressful thing. Like, where am I going to get it? How am I going to get it? What size am I? It doesn't fit right. I feel terrible in this. And I was really, on, on top of like that experience being not very fun, I was probably more annoyed at the fact that I, it's 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 a, it's a messaging problem to every anybody who we're trying to introduce to our sport, but also like a messaging problem to ourselves. If you are in, in a part of any community, whether that be sporting or otherwise, and you have on one side someone saying like, "Yes, we want you here. Here's a women's session. Here's a women's only day to come give it a try, give it a tester session," and you have this really empowering, really powerful experience. You really love the sport. You love the community. You get along with all your teammates. The first thing you do is you're like, "Well, I need to go get some stuff to do this new hobby in," and if the, if the very next experience you have is finding out that there is nothing for you, that's a mismatch in messaging. You know, you, you yeah, might before be... Before you even stepped on the pitch. Right? Yeah. You've, you've, you've maybe gone, you've maybe even thought about going to your first session and all of a sudden you're wondering, like, is this a sport for women? Is this a sport for me? And if we're going to grow the sport, if we're going to grow any sport, increase accessibility to sport and encourage people to enjoy all the benefits of playing sport at every level, then we have to remove those barriers. And clothing is such an easy barrier to remove. It's not like building a rocket ship, right? It's literally just making clothes for a significant portion of the playing population. And the fact that it hadn't been done already in a really any sort of appropriate way was honestly really confusing. <laughs> it's, I mean, we talk about women embracing body shapes and all different shapes and sizes. Mm-hmm. But like I say, when it comes to sport, it's either one size fits all. Quite often you don't get a female and male you just get unisex. Yeah. I think we have to which like, is just which men's. is just ridiculous, isn't which it? Is just Literally men's. just men's, isn't it? We'll just change yeah. the inside tag. I presume business is booming then because there's a massive, not only in rugby, but I, can, I mean, I'd, if someone set one up for hockey shorts and skirts and we could all <laughs> use the same, whatever the sport, I presume. <laughs> People are really taking up this opportunity to buy shorts that just simply fit. Definitely. I've been really lucky, I think, to be doing it at the time that I'm doing it. I feel I honestly feel like all I have to do is try and keep up. The biggest 
hurdle that I have to overcome right now with the business is keeping up, making sure we've got stock and in, in making sure that we're like still developing new products. And con- we're constantly getting asked for new products, constantly getting asked, like, when are you going to do another one of these or like a new one of that? And like, what about this? And the to-do list keeps getting longer, but it's a really, really great problem to have. Yeah, the market's probably huge, isn't it? it is. We'll all jump on board there. Okay, so for this podcast, we've got you on because you're all, quite honestly, it's you're at the forefront of the women's sport and activism. So, Ali, I'm going to come to you now because one of the main things that we talk about, especially as athletes, is changing things for the good. But outsiders might say that athletes should stick to sport and not get involved in politics. You said that you've done a um, degree in politics. I know, Alice, you've done one as well. And from your experience, you've been involved like 10 down in the street. What are your thoughts on this? Because there have been examples from those who are really in the spotlight, Marcus Rashford um, and Free School Meals, all the way through over the years. I think even if I thought that, it's irrelevant because the two things... I don't think that, by the way. But the two things are so intrinsically bound together that anybody who thinks that sport can just operate in this kind of vacuum on its own, separate to politics, is is wrong because that's just not how it works. I think there's two interesting things here. One is the way in which when we think about politics and sport mixing together, I think we instinctively go to athletes doing interesting things. So Marcus Rashford, Colin Kaepernick in America. But one of the things I found particularly interesting on the flip side is that's a proactive choice by an athlete. And if they have a platform and they want to use it, they absolutely should do that because they've got a moment where they can make change. But if you look at it from the other perspective, sport has not been able itself to keep politics out of sport. And it's increasingly being pulled in to huge societal challenges. So I spent three or four years working at Sport England as a director, and we spend a lot of our time working with individual sports on massive issues like transgender inclusion, racism, child safeguarding, you know, these huge societal issues smashing into sport and sport having to deal with those. So it's not just about athletes taking a proactive step to stand for something. It's also about sport now being a little microcosm of society and politics and not having any choice in that. So that's what I mean when I say, even if I thought those things should be kept separate, it doesn't matter because they're not. Mm. And if you speak to, you know, the CEOs of other national governing bodies of sport in this country in particular, they will say that increasingly their time is spent on these issues and not in the past, which might have been, let's focus on growing participation and bringing in money. Actually, there are a whole load of sports. Swimming is one of them, who are probably consumed by issues like, I mentioned transgender inclusion, and the kind of con- the difficulty they have in navigating a path on those issues. So I think they, they do mix and they have to mix. And we all have to live in a kind of coexistence that might not be peaceful. But that is very important because the two things, politics and sport, are such big arenas for all of us. Yeah. And I guess to the athletes who are in the public uh, light, do have a louder voice than some people who might not be in the public eye as well. Yeah, and I think one of the things I always try and think about when I'm looking at what's happening with athletes taking a step to to have their voice heard is who who are the people saying that this shouldn't happen? And it's very often people who are running sport who either don't want to deal with this or actually have this idea, and this is true of sport generally, that sport's different and that I think that's a really danger. We, we can exist over here in a different way. Well, that's not right because that means the sport isn't accountable to things. So I always try and remember, who is it that's trying to stop this from happening? Do I agree with those people? No. And so I think that's that's a really interesting way of thinking about it for me. Yeah, definitely. Alice, for you, you know, you're you're still competing international level. How have you found using your platform to speak about things that you care about? 
Do you ever feel pressurised that sometimes the people that Ali are mentioning don't want to deal with it or sometimes they try to bury their head in the sands? Not try to hush you, but a bit. can they be a bit eye-rolly? How have you found everything that you've wanted to do? Honestly, I'm really fortunate. I think I've had a really good experience. Even social media, I, 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 I shouldn't say that I've been lucky because I shouldn't have to deal with that stuff anyway. Mm. But some of the examples that you see quite a few prolific people who have stood up and spoken out about something go through, I, I haven't gone through. And I don't know for whatever reason, and maybe I haven't just reached those circles, which I'm grateful for, to be honest, but I've had like a really nice experience. And in terms of working with national governing bodies and things like that, I think in swimming specifically, there has been this awareness that we aren't getting black and Asian people into the water. And there has been an attempt in the past to make this happen, but for whatever reason, those connections between Black and Asian communities and the aquatic sector haven't been made. And that's why I think whilst it it was probably quite, it felt quite sudden for me to just start speaking up about this because I'd been on the British teams for quite a few years and then all of a sudden in 2019 decided to come out and start having these conversations. Can I ask, what was the fire in your belly that made you start wanting to start those conversations? Honestly, it was. It's, it sounds bad, it's slightly selfish. It was just the fact that one day I didn't want to look back on swimming and not see anything change from when I'd started out. So when I was younger, I had a very good experience through swimming. Genuinely, I did. But as I got older, I started to realize that there were certain things that people had said and done. I had a racist incident when I was 18. A coach called me a racially derogatory word. It wasn't to my face. That's it was awful. to another swimmer. The swimmer came and told me. And it was quite, it was weird because I didn't even know this coach. But anyway, and I was just kind well, of... Sorry about that experience. That sounds... Yeah, it's a bit... Horrific. Yeah, it's... Mm. It was one of those where I was I was quite well protected by the adults around me that I didn't have to deal with it. And I just brushed it aside because I shouldn't have to deal with that. I shouldn't have to have that on my mind. And Absolutely. I just can't, I couldn't bear the thought of that might happen to somebody else when I do have a voice. It's not a huge voice, especially in swimming and being an open water swimmer. It's even a more niche market. But I thought if I can put it out there, if people are interested, great. And if I can help influence the sport and change it in any way, then I, I'd, I'd have done something all right. So it's been like a whirlwind, but I'm hoping that the voice of myself and the Black Swimming Association is really having a positive change on the sport. Yeah, no, it's certainly having a positive change, like you say, to start those conversations, but even to have the strength and the bravery, really, to stand up against it is, is a credit to you. And Thank you. you know, things are hopefully going in, in the right direction. Like you said, your sport is... It's a very individual at times because ultimately you're competing for yourself. You're going out there and it's all about you. Steph, from a team perspective, and I certainly know within hockey, sometimes when you want to stand up and have an opinion or talk about something that matters, you might be feeling that you have to hold back a bit because you're part of a team and naturally not all your team might have that belief. Do you think being part of a team, it's it's difficult to stand out and, and have a voice at times? In some ways, in some ways, certainly, because even if you are saying these opinions are mine, the fact that the way that your platform exists or the reason people are listening to you can't exist without the acknowledgement of the fact you do come associated with these other people and you don't want to ever speak for somebody in a way that they don't want to be spoken for. But at the same time, I think something that team sport 
really made clear to me and I think can, can make clear to a lot of people is like nothing exists in a vacuum, similar to what Ali was saying. Even if there were a way to want to separate politics from sport, it's just, it's not, it's simply not possible. Nothing that we do in this world mm-hmm. can be separated from the fact that we live in a system altogether and we're constantly reevaluating that system. And it, it's all made up at the end of the day, right? We made up politics, we made up sport. There's no such thing as like an organic natural in the wild sport. We all, we invented every single one of them. There is no such thing as neutral, I think, when it comes to using your voice in sport or in politics or in the world we live in. And if you choose to not use it, that's your choice. But that's the same as saying something. There's no neutral. Yeah. And sport's forever evolving and constantly changing. And Alice, did you ever at any point think, oh, I I best not do this in case, you know, I might not get selected or there might be someone above me when it comes to the selection committee who might just think actually you know we want someone who's just going to get their head down swim and that's all they do which is absolutely wrong because you know <laughs> you you do what you do the sport you love you want to change it for the better did you have any of them worries at all especially going to olympics the, the biggest stage for your sport honestly no and again i feel quite lucky i i realize i'm standing on the shoulders of people who have had these issues before in other sports who, I don't know, maybe 20, 30 years ago were going through these same issues and maybe did speak out and then were punished for it. And hopefully federations have learned that it's not acceptable to do that. So I think it is one of those where I I never wanted to be taken as like a token athlete or anything like that. I've always earned my space on these teams and and with elite sport in my mind, that that's how it it should work. I have been asked that question before, whether we should have quotas for teams I, I know that's I know you haven't asked that question but it's just take, it popped into my mind and it's yeah it, I think in terms of like elite elite level sport it's not the way to go about it but we need to be putting that effort and that energy into the grassroots into the learn to swim programs where you're giving children the opportunity to choose if they want to be an elite athlete or not instead of just telling them no go to athletics or go to basketball or go to something that more people of your race do so do you think people get told that has anyone ever experienced that i mean i was tall i got told to play basketball all the time but <laughs> i'm terrible at it absolutely terrible well in, from what from what respect in the same way i couldn't play hockey i grew up in canada hockey's like what everybody's supposed to play but i i've never had any success in non-contact sports and i don't have it in me to avoid somebody i don't like if <laughs> i you know i once true story i was once walking through a parking lot at sainsbury's with a coffee and a car backed into me and my like gut reaction was to transfer my coffee to my other hand and like hit it as hard as i could <laughs> like i stiff armed the car and the person i was with was like what are you it's a car the car stopped but that's you know like if something moves towards me my instinct is not to like dart around mm-hmm. and my instinct is like I'm so glad I'm not it. playing rugby anymore. <laughs> I'll have to, I, but I, when I was a kid, I played so many sports, like girl sports. And I really felt like such a monster because like so many times people would be like, what is wrong with you? You have to move out of the way. And I'd be like, I don't know what's wrong with me. There's something wrong with me. And then I played contact sports and I found out that there's nothing wrong with me. I just am really bad at basketball. I was a little bit like that with netball. I really struggled playing netball because it was non-contact. See, so, you know, when people used to mark, I used to be, I just need to push them out of the way. Yeah. Like, get out of my face. Netball. See, you should have played yeah, rugby. Yeah. There's it's never too late. No, yes, it is with a body like mine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it is fascinating what you say, oh, you should play more of a girl sport. So for me, I played football. That was my first sport. And I turned up and I was like, what, there's a girl playing football? So you are so right about times changing, sports evolving, and you do have to ask questions. You do have to turn up to be that change. You do have to talk about the change for people to have opportunities who may come after. Ali, you said you did a bit of time at UK Sport from 
that point of view and your experience and everything that you've done, did you ever come across any athletes that might have experienced falling down the pecking order or not getting selected because they did stick their head above the parapet? Well, never overtly because no selector or team or organisation is foolish enough to make that obvious. But yeah, look, I think that is a huge um, risk for athletes when they raise their voice. I mean, in the in the time I've been involved in women's rugby, which goes back to 2000, basically, and particularly in Ireland where I started all of this, I used to express real frustration with some of the players that they I could see what was happening. So they were being poorly treated. There was a lot of sexism in the system there because rugby is such a niche sport for women. And, you know, I would say, well, why aren't you speak? Why don't you say this? And it took me a long time, I think, to understand the fear because I was not an elite athlete. Um, it didn't matter in the team I played for if I said things because we, we barely had enough players. So they had to play me. But I think I didn't really understand that. And I think... As times have gone on, all of the trailblazers that we've mentioned, including Steph and Alice here, you are paving the way for others to be able to find their voice. And I think, yes, there I do have examples of where a player, particularly in rugby, has spoken out. So in Ireland, for example, a couple of years ago, a large group of players, 60 plus, came together to write a letter to the government to send it was a huge story in Ireland to essentially say we have no trust and faith in the organisation running our sport and there was a current player very active in that particular group and she hasn't played very much for her country since now you would never have the organisation you know who runs sport in Ireland saying that that was the reason but it's an interesting coincidence and I think that scares athletes and you have to kind of accept and understand that so when one of the things I always think about when you see athletes really speaking up is Something drastic must have been happening. For, there must have been a lot going on for the player, the athlete, to get to that point because nobody does it just like that because people are too conscious of all of the work they've put in to get there. So when I see that, I always think, God, they must have had a really tough few years to get to the point where they've eventually just used social media or broken ranks. And it's very brave and we should really recognise athletes who do it because they are very brave to do so. Yeah, and more often than not as well, the first person to do that like you say, past and present rugby players from Ireland, like the, the 60 plus, there was people from previous years who actually went, yeah, I agree with that and, and signed on because they'd experienced it as well but didn't have that one person to follow and actually say, yeah, me as well because you just think you're the only one who's recognising it or feeling it. So I guess that's another reason why someone really does have to stand up and say, actually, I feel this because quite often other people feel it as well. Yeah, the well-known rugby player who you, you will know called Claire Malloy, who used to be Irish captain, and she's played at Bristol here in the Premiership. She's brilliant. And she always says, you, you what you're seen as is a troublemaker. And you, you in hindsight, you might be seen as a hero, but that's not, you know, that that's not what this should be. Yeah. And and so she, she says that quite a lot. And it's very potent, I think, because it's true. It's the true, instinct yes. of the sport is to say, ugh. Yeah, yeah, oh God, yeah, yeah, here we totally. go. Well, yeah. again, another name and probably one of the most famous names in women's football, Ada Haderberg. So she protested from 2017 to 2022, basically from not playing in her national team for Norway, purely for gender inequality. Now, she was hushed. She was told that women complain too much. So she went, right, listen, I'm not playing for the national team. Now, the reason she's so famous is because she's one of the most incredible goal scorers. She was the first ever winner of the female Ballon d'Or uh, at the age of 23. She's, I think she's only 27 now. So, and, and she's broken many, many records for scoring goals. But again, she was literally told to, shh, oh, she's just a troublemaker, keep her quiet. How do we go from 
that rationale of thinking to actually, oh, she, she's got a good point. Alice, have you got anything on it? Because you said your experience has been so brilliant. Is there anything that you did in particular that, was it the way you approached it, the wording that you, you used or who you spoke to for people to be so conforming and, and forthcoming when it came to the changes that you wanted to make? Yeah, it's an interesting one because I was quite fortunate of my education that I did politics and then social media and political communication. So I kind of knew the language which could make people tick. And I'm not saying that we should censor ourselves in any way. I just knew I didn't want to be, I didn't want to be seen as a troublemaker. So I picked language and words and kind of formed my narrative in a way which is palatable for people to truly understand and accept all I'm saying is that everybody should know how to swim I just I can't in my mind I can't fathom how you can try and say that that is a troublemaking yeah. or anything like that do you know what I mean but then it's, it's, it's a life-saving skill though isn't yeah, it yeah regardless exactly. if you're going to swim or, or elite or not <laughs> Alice can I tell you something I have a confession to make what? I saw you speaking last year and you oh. said this exact thing and I can swim and so it's been in my mind ever since. And yesterday I had my second swimming lesson and I almost yes, swam. <laughs> so there you go. You you have inspired people to go and do it. So there you go. Thank you. Oh, no, thank you. It's really hard, by the way. Oh, swimming. I'm so tired. It's, oh, it's swimming's exhausting. So it is, honestly. No, but keep at it. Keep at it. it. You'll get so much better. And sometimes you'll go backwards and that's okay. And you just keep going and then you'll be better the next session. But oh my God, no, thank you so I, much I'm doing for a lot of sinking to the bottom at the moment. That's why. <laughs> Mate, as long as, you can, well, as long as you can survive in exactly. water, you're good. My, my six-year-old could swim and I just thought, then enough is enough now, I need to do this. And your words were in my mind, Alice. Alice, social media, do you think that has helped getting your message out there? Do you think you'd be in the same position now if we didn't have social media? No, definitely not, to be honest. There are so many powerful and positive voices out there. And yeah, a large part of my voice getting to where it has gone to is platforms like this, like The Telegraph, who have interviewed me countless times and been able to tell my story and other news networks like social media influencers. There are a lot of people out there who have these audiences and I genuinely believe that they want to do good and they want to give people, give women give underspoken voices these opportunities to really reach new people. So I think while social media, I know there is a lot of negative with social media, especially with women's sport, but I really think there are some people out there who have these platforms and have access to certain communities who want to see these stories shine and wherever we can to share and put people in touch with each other and just give where we can. I think it can be really powerful, but I totally understand that there is this horrible negative side, but sadly, it's quite a small minority of people. Keyboard warriors. They can make such <laughs> a powerful impact. It's scary. Yeah, it's, I mean, social media, I, I'm probably the same as you. It's The amount of people that you can reach is incredible. There's always going to be the minority. Uh, we won't give them any more airtime. But the reach is incredible. And actually, UK sport research found that two in three UK adults, so 66%, believe that athletes have a role to play in championing causes that they believe in and raising awareness of social issues. So that reach is its pretty important, especially youngsters now. All the news, all the information comes from social media. And this is where I'm going to come to you, Steph, because you quite simply made social media explode, especially when it came to women's sport, women's rugby, with your hashtag, I care. Tell our listeners then where it came from and how it just started to gain momentum. 
It started over COVID. Obviously, the way that we play a lot of sports got heavily impacted. Rugby was no exception. And the men's Six Nations played on as normal, but the women's could not largely impact the, you know, the, the vast majority of the athletes participating were not full-time professionals. They couldn't isolate in the same way. They didn't have the same level of, of funding towards private testing, etc. So it was just not feasible for them to, to play the tournament, and it got postponed. I uh, saw a post, you know, it's just a very, very neutral, no sort of opinion either way, communicating the fact that the women's sensations had been postponed. I couldn't believe how many <laughs> comments I saw below the post, which, again, wasn't expressing any sort of opinion. It wasn't saying that was good or bad. It was just like, here's a fact. And a bunch of people, many who appeared to be male, saying something along the lines of who cares about this, which I found really funny because if you comment on something, clearly you do. Yes. Right. Like that's like. Yeah. A pretty solid giveaway. Yeah. If you didn't care, you probably would just keep scrolling. That's, uh, you know, non-engagement is a good measure of, of disinterest. I, so at first I found it a bit funny. And then the more I scrolled, the more I got a bit mad because I just kept thinking about if, if I were a younger me on my phone probably being sad about my own rugby not being able to be played right now, maybe looking forward to watching the Women's Six Nations and looking at this post and then just seeing this barrage of comments, which are not only rude and disrespectful, but also like very easily provable to be not true. If you just went to Google and typed in like literally any sort of search query around how many women play rugby or what are the growth numbers towards women's rugby or how many people watched those Six Nations last year, any of these things, right? You would have to actively try to not find the smallest piece of data that supported how wrong you were. So I just thought, well, the reason that these people have the boldness to post something like this is probably because they must believe it to be true because they probably exist in some sort of vacuum microcosm where they only speak to other people who are exactly like themselves, which is, like you said, the social media is, is a double-edged sword. You can reach everybody, but you can also reach nobody except the people who already think what you think. So I just thought, well, how can I just show them very simply how incorrect they are? They're obviously not going to go on Google, or they would have already. So I just thought, if so many of these comments said something, who cares? Nobody cares about this. Nobody cares. I was like, well, I do. And it was kind of late at night, and I didn't really think about it. I just did it, put up a post, didn't think too much of it, because sometimes you get mad and you shout into the void a little bit. And then I woke up the next morning, and um, my phone was... (laughs) So it it wasn't like some sort of, you know, mastermind plan. It was like what we were talking about earlier. You get a little bit mad and you say something about it and then a lot of other people are like I actually think the same thing and it was really interesting for the weeks after that happened you know I hadn't put a bunch of thought into what I said I just chucked something up on the internet and I was blown away by how eloquent and how professional so many of the people's posts who posted about it were it was so polished mm-hmm. and at first, I was like, wow, this is really it, it, it warmed my heart a little bit but then the more I thought about it it made me a little bit sad because I had this awareness of this isn't the first time they've said this. Like this argument, like none of these arguments or these posts people are putting up, this is not the first time they've had to think it or say it to somebody or say it to themselves or it it was so rehearsed. And I was like, oh my God, they're literally just posting something they've already had 100 conversations about and that's sad. Mm -hmm. The fact that so many women who play rugby are so rehearsed at having to defend why they do a thing, why they have to explain like, hey, I like this. Can you just let me do it? That's, I think, quite sad. So at first I had, had a really kind of elated like week and a half and then I felt deflated for a week. Did you at any of the people who outed you saying that they didn't care? I so would have done that. I did a couple of times. Yeah, did you get a couple of times? None that were impressive. Or did you just send that Forrest, <laughs> that Forrest Gump gift of like him waving like, hi. <laughs> I had, you know, I've had, I've had like a handful of, of 
what are what's the non-fan hater? I don't know. Whatever you want to call it. Somebody who's, you know, somebody who wants to tell you how bad you are at whatever you do. And they're usually like want to make it personal. And I think in, in a lot of ways, I feel like really lucky to be the age I am and have the life experience I have. I think when I was younger, I probably would have really struggled with that because I would have been, um, I think, a lot more interested in what other people think of me when, you know, when you're like your late teens, early 20s, you care a lot about what the world, what the world tells you about yourself. But I feel like, you know, I always say like, I think I was born with a certain amount of Fs to give and I ran out a couple years ago. And now I just don't care. Like if someone if someone wants to think yeah, something you, about me. What do you me, do now? Do you reply or anything? Or just ignore it or do you block them? Or mute? I usually say something. It's the same when someone says something crappy to me on the rugby field. I always make a joke. You know, a couple of weeks ago, somebody told me in not very nice language that I had to learn how to tackle. And I was like, you know what it is a work on? Yeah, so true. <laughs> and it's I will clip way. this. And yeah. she's like, what? And I was yeah. like, I will. I'll clip it. Don't you worry. Um, you just agree with them. Yeah. I had somebody in the game tell me that like I landed on her in a tackle and she called me a fat something something. And I was like, you know, I've been heavier. So you're welcome. <laughs> You know, like you just make a joke about I, it. On, online, I normally just ignore because I sometimes think once you do one, then they all think that you're going to get a reply. But every so often, I'll just drop them a kiss-blowing emoji and just say, thanks, hun. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, hun. Yeah. What, what, what can they do with it's, that, right? Exactly. If you make a joke about it or if you just say, like, I don't care what you think, you're wrong. But I, I, when, when I started Scrum Quiz on Twitter account, I mean, the amount of abuse we used to get because at that point, there weren't very many people talking about women's rugby on Twitter and showing my age now. And now I just genuinely do not care what these people think. I, it's like I don't even I, I can see it. I can't remember the last time I've engaged with a, with a sexist or a troll. I do wonder where social media is now with like keyboard warriors and stuff because people are just getting a little bit bored of them. So their voice, people like you say, it's are just going, oh, just here we go. The They're standard, here we go. They're just embarrassing Who themselves. Cares? Yeah. Who cares? Yeah, it is right. Okay, so as we said. No more trolls. Kit, we're going to come full circle now to, to, to the beginning. Um, this one I find fascinating because I'm a firm believer of, this is my, and some of my hockey teammates' ethos is, look good, feel good, play good, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And, I, and again, I think it's probably changed a little bit because when I first started playing hockey, people used to take the mick out of me because I used to put some nail varnish on and a male coach said, what are you playing, putting nail varnish on because you're only playing hockey, no one's watching. And it was a bit like, it doesn't matter if people are watching or not. I just want to like, I like having nice nails. Now, one of my fellow hockey players, Tess Howard, brilliant brilliant person. Uh, she has recently successfully campaigned for shorts to be permitted in women's hockey, which is fab. However, Tess, my argument would be, I quite like wearing a skirt. And actually, when I played in a boys team when I was 17, they all had to wear white shorts, which they tried to make me wear white shorts as well. But I said, no, I want to wear a skirt. So I got a nice white tennis skirt and wore that. But I do have to say, Tess has done brilliant because actually not every female athlete is the same. And I've got some of my best friends who would like to wear shorts when they're playing, some wear skirts, some like to train in shorts, some wear skirts in competition. It's so important to have that choice. So on that, Alice, I'm going to come to you now with your experience because you've helped get the sole swimming camp approved haven't you for different hair types how important is it to have choices when it comes to kit that is exactly what it's about it's about choice and it's just about not having to police people whoever you are on you have to do this you have to wear that you have to style your hair in a certain way so it can fit into our standard size swimming cap or yeah you have to wear shorts or you have to wear a skirt it's just where we can give people the choice I just don't see why we don't do it it just it doesn't really make sense so yeah in 2021 it came out that Fina had 
disapproved the sole cap, which for anyone who doesn't know about it, it's basically a larger size swimming cap where the dome, like where you would put your head in or in your hair, is just bigger so you can get more hair into it. And it's why was it disapproved, Alice? From what Fina said, or well, now World Aquatics was Fina, it didn't follow the natural form of the head. And I, yeah, I don't really get it. I, I don't, oh I don't, God, I don't even really I, I baffle it. <laughs> what, what swimming cap does follow the natural form of the head. But anyway, I think it was just ignorance around understanding what the cap was for. Mm. And mm-hmm. it was one of those things where rather than opening up loads of questions by saying yes to it, it's probably easier if we just shut the door and don't think about it. And I just don't think they realized what kind of impact that would have when the story broke, when when people realized that this had happened. And it just sends the wrong message. I think Steph was saying this earlier. It sends the wrong message to children within the sport who are looking up at it thinking, oh, okay, maybe this is for me. And then you're seeing at the very top level your style of hair or the cap that you might use in training at the moment isn't even allowed to be used at the Olympics. And then what kind of mountain is that to climb when you're trying to be good at your sport but then also have to deal with barriers which have literally been put in front of you for no reason so anyway they saw sense so it's been like approved as of 2022 and it is is really simply about just giving people a choice and not having to police what we do because I have my swimming suits policed I have my goggles policed what is on my cap is also policed so it'd just be nice that the size of my cap is just a choice of myself like for example the choice of my swimming costume is the choice of myself yeah, it's just, it's really important, like you say, just to give people choice. So it's universal because no <laughs> one is the same, regardless of age, gender, race, you know, whatever it may be. So Steph, when it came to starting up your business, you spoke to us a little bit about how you went about it, how it all started up. Was colour a question when it came to rugby? Because we've seen the colour of shorts hit headlines numerous times with the Lionesses, the England women's football team. They petitioned to not have white shorts for when the girls were on their period to have navy blue, so they're now playing navy blue shorts. However, from a rugby side of things, actually it was there was a vote for the England women's rugby team to keep them white. Have you seen a demand in different coloured shorts from your business? We definitely, the, the the colours that we sell the most of are kind of the general most used color, like short colours in most teams, which tend to be like black, navy, red. But we do sell white shorts. We've we constantly stock white shorts. I think when it comes to something like a team deciding what they want to wear, I think it's a little bit different than an individual t- deciding what they want to wear in their training. Rugby is specifically interesting because there are other sports where you never see an athlete with blood on them. You fairly regularly see rugby athletes, men and women, with blood on them. It happens in the course of a game almost all the time. We have a, an entire timeout process for a blood sub, which is like the only time you can come back on the pitch. It's like, you know, I don't know of any other sports that have something like a blood sub. So, you know, I think for personally, I find it interesting that people would want to make a huge difference between what kind of blood it is. You know, I think if we have a blood sub for a nose, I don't know why you can't have a blood sub for anything else. I also don't know why it has to be embarrassing. You wouldn't think someone's embarrassed if they got a bloody nose or if they got a big gash on their leg from somebody's stud. If anything, you'd be like, that's kind of badass and let them go sort it out and they can come back on when the, when the bleeding is stopped. I think blood's blood and I don't think we have to that's overcomplicate it. That's such a good it. point. 
I mean, I mean, I'm gonna put it out there like I still get mortified, and even when I'm on my period, and after having two kids, my period's worse than ever. <laughs> like I have to change every like half an hour, forty five minutes. It's like, I'm right, still it's paranoid that I'm leaking. But it's like, in my jeans, sports kit, whatever it is, and I'm mortified at the thought. But like that's but that's been taught to you, right? Like why is that embarrassing? If anything, you should be like, yeah, look at look at what I'm dealing with right now, and I'm still showing up the way I'm showing up. I'm unkillable. I've never even right? thought about that point. <laughs> right? I love it. It's, the the it, fact it, that it, you can do brain, it. Though. Yeah. I, this is a ridiculous thing to admit, but I was on the tube the other day, and two tampons fell out of a woman's bag, and I picked them up, and I went red. I was like, what? <laughs> oh my god! And yeah. I hated myself, and she was like. Thanks. <laughs> she didn't care. I, do you know what? I think this is really interesting because you two are the experts on Kit and I'm not even going to attempt to talk about that. But what I think this is part of is this era that we're suddenly moving into where there's there's a recognition that there are certain like things that we must think about that are different for women in sport. And the other area, and it's, it's, it's tangential to this, is women's sports science and kind of recognising that actually our bodies are different. We have periods and that impacts how we train. I'm in the middle of reading that amazing female body Bible book. I don't know if anyone's read it. It's so good. It will make you angry and embarrassed at how little you know about your body. But they talk about how periods in particular have such a big impact on how we should be training and how we should be eating and our contact management and load management. And when you take all that together, the fact that we're sort of mortified about blood on our shorts or some people are, and, you know, we don't even know how we should be training when we have it. All of this, the kit changes and the way in which we're starting to talk about periods and other things, I do think is kind of ushering in a new transparent era for the, uh-huh. for sport. And you guys are like a huge part of that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think there would probably be like an alarmingly uniform Venn diagram of people who really care if um, somebody's bleeding through their shorts and people who really want you to prove that you have a uterus. I'm like, well, here, here's my <laughs> uterus. Like, you know, like it's it's the same people who are concerned about all sorts of other stuff that doesn't affect them that are probably the most concerned about whether or not someone's bleeding from not a nose on a rugby pitch. I just think there's like so many other things in the world to care about. I don't know. I don't see the need to disrespect where somebody's bleeding from when we're not there to talk about it, it, that. We're it, there to play rugby games. It, but it's the question is, though, how do you go from that to then just being like normalizing it? Like my husband is the most supportive husband, so pro women's sport, loves watching women's sport, like will actively turn over from watching men's football in, if we were playing in England. And if the women were playing at the same time, he'd watch the women's um, football match. But if I talk to him about periods, he freaks out. So where, I mean, do you know what I mean? Where do you start? You have talking about it, right? Like it's a normal, it's a completely normal part of life. And what we should be more concerned about, especially as athletes, is not having a period. Like if if a female athlete stops having her period or has really light periods or regular periods, they stop, they they just stop full stop. That's usually um, indicative of overtraining, of a whole host of things that are going to negatively impact her ability to perform her sport. So I really wish I remember the name of her right now, but I, I recently saw a post about a... I, I don't know if she was an ultra marathoner or something. It's been in the Telegraph. The te- t- was it yeah. in the... Yeah. That was organic. I didn't even plan to name drop that. <laughs> <laughs> but oh, here we God. are. It just goes to show the quality of coverage you guys provide. But it's about, the, she, you could see the blood <laughs> yeah. in the front of her. And somebody her commented. They were like, you know, you should have cropped this to be more flattering. That's and right, she yeah. commented about how she was like, I, you know, it was a struggle for me to bring my period back. And the fact that I have one is great. And it's stuff like little comments like that to be like, no, like, don't crop it. This is normal. And I'm glad I have a period. And she was doing an amazing And she thing. was nailing it, right? Like, it wasn't, it wasn't like she was competing in, like, you know, who can hide their period the best. That's not the sport. The sport is running. Like, let the girl run. Right? It, was, uh, it was triathlete Emma Pallant-Brown, who was doing the European Open Triathlon in Ibiza last month. What about us? So she had a bright pink 
swimming costume. We've just brought it up here. <laughs> and you can see, like, a red mark, which is obviously yeah, her period. Good, yeah. And she's just rocking it, like you say. Yeah. And I just, I love, I loved like the comment that she had for it. She was like, don't crop it. That's a good, that's good for me. Like, that's how you fix it, right? Being like, this is normal. It's fine. And it's positive that she has it. And I just think she's such, like, such a badass. Yeah. So she said basically when she first saw the comment of someone saying you should have cropped it, she panicked a little bit and then Mm -hmm. thought, is that really, is that really the stage where we're still at? Do people really see that as something that shouldn't be shown? Right. And, and at the end of the day, too, like, it means that when somebody saw a photo, or any sort of media about a female participating in a sport, their first thing to do was to judge her appearance, mm-hmm. which is like, again, like, it's just so boring. It is true. You just need more people it's to so speak boring. about it. I like, mean, I quite happily speak about it to the girls. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about it on the podcast about my period. But like right? I say, in pub, in the, if you were to be seen with a stain, you just, I get the complete opposite. Alice, I remember as a youngster, if I was on my period and I started my period at 11, when we used to do swimming, I'd be like, oh God, I've got to pretend that I forgot my kit. Yeah. And I'd take like the detention yeah. or sitting on the sideline or having to do the extra whatever we had to do over swimming while I was on my periods. I mean, how how do how is the whole periods thing dealt with in swimming? Because that's always been a bit of a stigma, hasn't it? Even more so than just doing sport <laughs> on your period. So I think for elite swimmers, it's definitely a kind of get on with it. Like you kind of have to use, you obviously have to use a tampon. I think that there are other things out there, but it's the standard like you've got this, you use that. And it's sad to see children missing out on their swimming lessons because of their period. That is potentially a quarter of your lessons gone, which is quite a lot of time out of the water, especially if you're only just learning to swim. Mm. And I don't know whether there is more that can be done around just letting, especially children feel less shame about it. I know even as an adult, we've all spoke, just spoke about it. There's still a bit of shame there, which is it's really nice that we can have these conversations so openly. And even just saying the word period, just saying it on something that's going to be public seems so wrong to me. But w- that's what it is. Yeah, 50% like, of the population have them. The, yeah. the, the great the, the book yeah. that I mentioned I'm reading, which I can't recommend more, they talk about how less than 6% of sports, science and medical research is done exclusively on women, which is unbelievable I had to read it a few times like, well, that can't be right Where check the source at the back and, um, <laughs> and, and, and it's right and it's like if, as you say Alice if you don't if we don't know the things that make an impact or the way in which our bodies work to maximise performance then how can we ever do anything about it yeah no, and that book actually The Female Body Bible which you speak so fondly um, about is written by Dr Emma Ross who will actually be on this series of podcasts Hello, um, she has some fans yeah but of course This episode has been about activism and how all three of you have done so much to change women's sport for the good. Um, But I've got one final question for you. Think about it hard. Okay, so if you could change one thing about the perception of women's sport right now or women's sport in general, what would it be and why? I'll go, I'll go. go for it. Uh, by the way, you could say a hundred things here. Can I just yeah, say yeah. top um, one? Top one of the list. To, top one for me, given the way everything is going, is I would love it if the people who have the power to put money into women's sport all saw it for what it is, which is an investment and not a cost. And that is currently how people look at it. They don't see it for what the potential is. So that change of mindset to me would make a huge difference. A hundred percent. Every time I hear somebody talk about investing in or putting any sort of money towards women's rugby or women's sport and talking about it as if it's some sort of donation or like charity. <laughs> You're welcome. I just yeah, we've think actually like, got a bit of spare money. I just think like, it's just such a it's just such a weird way to tell me that you're bad at business. 
you could have said that in fewer words, but okay. So go on, Steph, what would yours be? I would love... And you're not allowed to use each other's answers either. <laughs> no, I was just I was just being a fangirl. Um, <laughs> I would love to, if I had the money to do it, I would do um, a public campaign that would just show the difference between the way that the average men's sport is packaged and presented to the average women's sport. In, in women's rugby, even, even now um, with some of the bigger games, there's a tremendous difference in the type of spectator experience on the day. There's a tremendous difference in the amount of cameras that are present on the day, what those cameras can do, what the storytelling aspects of cameras do in like lulls in between like play, you know, when something's when something, you know, is being reviewed um, in a men's game, there's almost always some sort of close up on somebody for a reaction. There's storytelling. There's always a halftime show. There's always discussion. And we're definitely seeing the packaging being done better for some of the top the top events. But it's like you said at the very beginning of this alley, it's very far from consistent. And I don't think that the average person understands the the difference in perceived value that has to people who are not only like longtime fans of the sport, but new to the sport as well. The average person um, might not understand every single rule in rugby or why something's happening, but the difference between having a good time and not having a good time has to do with how we package something. You would never, you know, you would never try and sell a Birkin at a corner shop dusty without a bag. It has to have the experience to justify the price tag and women's Mm -hmm. sport is no different. We have to give it the dust bag and the experience and the gloves and everything for somebody to walk in and be like, this is something valuable that I'm going to dedicate my time into looking into. And that, I think, is something that is, you know, is just really well hidden by the amount of marketing and and shiny, glossy things that we put around the men's game and we don't put around the women's game. Great, great answer. Okay, Alice, what would you go for? I would love to see teenagers and young girls have sport and exercise kind of packaged to them in a way which is more sustainable for them to carry on sport and exercise whatever that looks like up into their adulthood because I think you see quite a large gap of where girls stop playing sport at maybe year nine or probably even younger and don't pick it up again until they've had a child or they're pregnant because they realize it's such an important part of your life and your lifestyle so there's like a at least like a 10 year gap there potentially where there hasn't been a healthy relationship with exercise, which it's just really sad. And obviously the dropout rates in certain sports is is just frankly unacceptable. So I'd just love to see more effort put into that side on I, I don't know whose job that is <laughs> <laughs> very idealistic it's so, no, so much I, job out there to yeah, make sure but, yeah. absolutely yeah it's so important if someone no. like just the perception just to change overnight that listen girls don't worry sport's yeah. cool it's great it's fine exactly. it's amazing get involved and stick with it I love it well thank you so much to the three of you you really have been fab this conversation will go on and hopefully things will change for the better as well in the future You've been listening to the Telegraph's Women's Sport Podcast with me, Sam Quirk. The producer is Shira Kilgallen and the executive producers are Louisa Wells and Sarah Mockford. For more women's sport content from the Telegraph, head to telegraph.co.uk forward slash women's sport. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> <laughs> 